everyone, my name is Carrigan Baker and I'm a student of the Central West Leadership Academy in Dubbo, New South Wales. And welcome to our podcast, Pieces of Wisdom, where we interview Dubbo's role models, icons and politicians about leadership, justice and their lives. Towards the end of each episode, we ask them what a piece of wisdom they wish they had at our age. In this episode, Finn Randall and I interviewed Dubbo City Council, Stephen Lawrence, and here is what he has to say. Thank you, Mr. Lawrence, for taking the time to come in and talk to us today because I know you are a very busy man. No worries. It's my pleasure, Finn. So where were you born? Uh, I was born in Griffith um, in New South Wales. I come from a family that's originally from Sydney, but my father was working um, at the time in Griffith. They were down there for a number of years, and I was born down there in 1975. And what was your life like as a young child there? Uh, my life as a young child was spent um, in Griffith um, and Wollongong and then um, in Sydney and it was very happy. I come from a big family. Um, I've got two brothers and two sisters. We, um, um, as I look back, I think we had a lot of independence and freedom as kids. We lived in Little Bay in Sydney for a big part of my childhood and um, yeah, I remember on the weekends and during the holidays basically uh, being free to leave home at 7.30 in the morning, um, as long as we were home by sunset, um, and roaming around the national parks and the golf courses um, in that part of Sydney. So yeah, I'd say that I had a very uh, happy and uh, free childhood, I guess, and lots of love uh, from my family, so I was very lucky. That's probably the most vivid memory from that very early part of my life. What was school like for you? School for me was um, a mixture of experiences. Uh, because my family moved around a lot and for some other reasons, um, I went to a number of schools. I went to uh, three primary schools and four high schools. And um, I was one of those kids who had my particular interests uh, academically and um, I was good at those things. That included things like English and history. And then there was other things like maths and science and lots of other things that I was not interested in and found it very hard to pay attention to. So I had some strange marks over the years. I came first in some subjects in different years and I came last in some other subjects. And um, as I got older, sort of in my early teens, my um, <clears throat> schooling experience changed a bit and um, I was a bit of a naughty kid um, in my teen years. and. Um, yeah, moved around to a few different schools um, as a result of that. But that, uh, for me, was very much part of growing up. And, um, yeah, but luckily my family was really loving and supportive and they sort of kept me on the right track. And, um, yeah, I finished year 12, which was great. Do you find yourself still into mathematics and science to this day? No, but um, it's funny because in the practice of law, I occasionally get involved um, traffic cases, for example, um, and medical cases sometimes, and those things require me sometimes to, to have some grasp of science and maths. So there's things that I have to sort of look back at and try to relearn um, or remember. But I guess in that way, I'm pretty much the same as I was back then at school. I'm strong in some areas and <laughs> I'm not so strong in some others. Did you know that you wanted to be a member of the council when you were a child? No, being a member um, of council, I don't think ever crossed my mind when I was a child. Um, um, I had long wanted to be a lawyer. 
but for a long time that didn't seem like something that I would be, a- be able to achieve and certainly when I was in high school I never thought that I would probably end up a lawyer because those sort of very high marks that I need back then to go into one of the law schools um, um, in Sydney or wherever didn't really seem that achievable to me. But uh, the thing that I realised when I finished school is, um, or towards the end of school, is that there's so many pathways um, in life into different things. And um, if you don't succeed um, on one particular pathway, uh, then you just need to look around and look for a different pathway. Um, and you'll get to that destination that you want at the end of the day, um, if you want it hard enough and if you try hard enough. How did you find yourself as a member of the council? Well, I first became interested in running for council after um, I unsuccessfully contested uh, the state seat of Dubbo um, in 2015. And I very much enjoyed that um, initial sort of involvement in public life, being involved in issues having the responsibility to speak out on things in the media um, on behalf um, of the Labor Party. And um, I knew that there would be a local government um, election coming up in September uh, 2017. So back in sort of the end of 15, beginning of 16 type period, I started to think seriously about it. And I spoke to the branch members in the Labor Party here about it, and they were very supportive of the idea um, of me standing. So um, I lodged the papers, which is what you have to do. <clears throat> and I sought endorsement from the Labor Party to be um, an officially um, endorsed candidate, which means that I don't sit on council just as me, Stephen Lawrence. I sit on council as an official Labor person. Now we're talking to Stephen Lawrence about his action and experience as a barrister in today's modern world. Why did you choose to be a barrister? I chose to be a barrister uh, because it was part of, um, I suppose, the development um, and progression of my career. Um, I first became interested in law more generally, um, as I was talking about before when I was a kid, and I think I was interested in law because I saw the importance of the way that society um, is organised, and obviously um, our legal system is a big part of that. And I guess I hope that I can make a contribution uh, to a more just, a more fair society uh, through becoming a lawyer. So I spent a number of years working as a solicitor and I found that I had a particular interest uh, in appearing in court and in particular um, appearing in jury trials, which I found to be uh, very challenging and fun. And because barristers specialise particularly in court work, um, I guess it... uh, was just part of the progression and development um, of my career that uh, then led to me uh, becoming a barrister. Do you have a funny story from your your time in court? I've got a million funny stories from my time in court because a lot of funny things happen in court and I think the reason that a lot of funny things happen in court is that um, on one hand a courtroom is a very serious place and there's a lot of authority Uh, in courtrooms and a lot of very well-established way that things happen, a lot of very strict rules. Uh, But the courtroom um, is there to deal with human beings and human beings aren't like that. Human beings come in all shapes and sizes and differences and have all of the weaknesses and frailties um, of the human condition. 
Uh, so the combination of those two things produces a lot of funny, um, ironic, sad, uh, tragic moments in court. And a big part of that is humour. Uh, sometimes in court you can't laugh when the funny things happen because you might be at a particularly serious moment of the case and everyone in the room sort of knows that something's happened that is quite funny, but you might just talk about it later. Uh, but every so often in court, something will happen that is just so funny that even people like the lawyers um, and the judges will laugh in court. Can you explain to our listeners what a barrister's uniform looks like and what's its historical importance? Yeah, so a barrister wears um, a black robe and um, a bar jacket, um, a black jacket, and then a barrister also wears um, a wig um, on their head and they wear a piece of white cloth um, around their neck. And um, as I understand it, the black uh, robe um, in medieval times um, and maybe before was considered to be a sign of learning um, or a sign of wisdom. Uh, so lawyers from a very early stage in our legal system wore a black tunic or a black robe as that symbol um, of learning or wisdom. One of the uh, the funny things about the robe is it's got um, on the back side of it uh, a black triangular piece of cloth uh, that you can put things in and there's a few different theories about that uh, but one of them is that um, in the past it wasn't considered proper for um, a barrister to accept money directly from someone uh, so the tradition was that the money would just be slipped into uh, the black triangular piece of cloth um, at the back of the gown do modern barristers use their uniform the way that it was originally designed for, like the pocket on the back or the wig? No, no, we don't. No, so we receive our payment from um, our client to the solicitor and then to us, and thankfully we're not dependent on uh, people putting money in that little triangular piece of cloth. And what is it like being on council? Uh, being on council is uh, challenging and uh, interesting and um, enjoyable most of the time. Um, uh, the council makes a range of decisions um, in accordance with the responsibilities of local government um, under the legislation that um, applies um, in New South Wales. So you do get to uh, know about all sorts of interesting things and you have to learn about um, a lot of new things so that you can make the best decision possible. Um, another big part of being on council um, is speaking to people um, or making contact with people. And um, as a councillor, our mobile phone number, our email address, all of those things are available on the internet for people. And so it's not unusual at all to get a number of phone calls a day uh, from people in the community um, who want to talk to a councillor about a particular uh, issue in the community. So you get to know a lot of people and you get to know a lot of interesting information about the community. And then you have that important responsibility of making decisions about how things should be. How does social media like Facebook impact a politician's career? Well, it's a very effective way uh, to get information out to people. And it allows people uh, to look up your account and learn things about you, to look and see, see what you've been posting and what uh, sort of person you are. It's proven to be... Uh, the downfall of a few candidates and politicians as well, because one of the realities um, of modern uh, life, I suppose, 
is that uh, many of us post all sorts of things on Facebook, obviously not necessarily uh, planning to get involved in politics or planning um, uh, that people would be scrutinising what you say on social media too carefully. So there's been quite a lot of people who have come under a lot of criticism and controversy with things that they've said on Facebook after they've gotten into politics. It's also a good way, I think, as a politician to, uh, to have a gauge of what people are thinking in the community. You obviously get a lot of posts and comments on your uh, different accounts, and that's a good way for you to learn what people are thinking. Uh, but the thing about Facebook is, uh, particularly, in, I suppose, um, also Twitter um, and different other uh, mediums, is that um, it's not necessarily representative of what the broader community is thinking. So I think as a politician, you need to certainly be aware um, of the strengths of social media and the purpose um, of social media, but uh, you also need to realise that um, it's not reality and it's not life. And the most important part, um, I think, of politics, certainly local politics, um, is getting out um, and talking to people and meeting people and having proper um, and real conversations with people. Do you have any experience with online trolls who have made inflammatory comments about you? Yeah, I have had um, a few people who I suppose you could call trolls. Um, uh, the word troll I normally would uh, use for somebody who's really behaving in a very extreme way and I've only uh, really had one or two who, who I would call trolls that I've had to ban from my page and that would be people that um, I will make comments that are highly abusive, uh, personal, using really nasty swear words, and really they're only commenting to to get some sort of a thrill out of being sort of really nasty. Um, and then you get a range of other people um, who might not like you or might not like what you stand for, and they'll comment regularly, say on Facebook, and make negative comments about you. But I don't think you can necessarily call those people trolls. Um, and so, look, I try to have a fairly tolerant um, approach to my Facebook. I only really ban um, or delete uh, those people that, that you could really call trolls. Uh, the others, um, I, I allow them uh, to comment on my page. And I think that um, in terms of uh, freedom of speech and democracy, as we've moved into the digital age, we all need to... Um, as elected officials, um, I suppose, bear in mind that uh, the digital sphere is very much the, uh, the public square um, of times past. It's where people get together to express political views. And I think as an elected official, you should be very reluctant to ban people because that effectively uh, precludes them from participating in uh, the modern public square. And that's quite a significant thing. And I recently saw that uh, Donald Trump was successfully sued um, in America relying um, on constitutional protections uh, for banning people from um, his Twitter account. And he's obviously an example of an elected official who's using social media in a very um, extensive way and uh, using it uh, to politically message to the community um, in a very significant way. He's got millions um, of followers. And I haven't read that court decision, but um, I assume that the court uh, was very conscious of uh, his particular position, uh, the way that he uses Twitter, and the fact that Twitter is uh, part of the modern public sphere. And um, as I understand it, that court found that he had offended their constitutional uh, right to participate, 
um, or right to free speech by banning them. So look, there's a number of really complicated um, issues around social media and politics, but I think one thing that almost everyone would agree on is that as an elected official um, um, or someone seeking election, it's very hard to stay away from social media because it's just such an effective way to communicate. When you talk to our class, you mentioned that you went to Afghanistan to defend people in the Taliban. Could you tell us how that, about how that came to be? Yeah, so I became a member of a thing called the Australian Civilian Corps. Um, I joined the Australian Civilian Corps in uh, 2011 or 2012, I think it was, and that's um, an organisation that um, is composed of people with uh, particular skills or qualifications um, in conflict and post-conflict um, and natural disaster um, environments. And um, in 2012, I think it was, they started to, uh, to deploy people to work um, in Bagram in Afghanistan, to work at a place called the Justice Centre in Parwan. And um, I was chosen to go there and went there um, in 2013. And uh, the Justice Centre in Parwan is a specialist court that was set up to uh, transition uh, Taliban detainees from um, American and coalition custody into the Afghan criminal justice system because uh, the Afghan government recognised that um, as the war there uh, started to scale down and as the coalition forces, including America and Australia, started to look um, at leaving Afghanistan, uh, that they needed to deal with this issue of thousands of Afghan uh, citizens in the custody of those coalition forces and they recognised the need to uh, strengthen their domestic criminal justice system uh, to deal with these people that were in custody because ultimately they were and are the responsibility of the Afghan government. Uh, so this court was set up um, in Bagram. It sat um, inside Bagram, which is an American military base, and it was staffed, though, by um, Afghan judges and Afghan lawyers, and there uh, was uh, citizens of various of the coalition countries, such as America, and Australia, um, who were there to assist with training and mentoring of the lawyers and also with uh, security and different responsibilities of the court. Uh, so I worked there with uh, the Afghan lawyers who were defending the detainees and uh, my responsibility was uh, to assist them with the cases and to, do, uh, to give training modules um, around various aspects um, of criminal defence. And yeah, so I spent um, uh, the best part of a year there and um, it was a very fraught and intense environment, um, I suppose, and uh, the base uh, was regularly under attack from the Taliban and uh, the lawyers that I worked with were, in fact, themselves under constant threat from the Taliban because the Taliban regarded uh, anyone who was working with the American or coalition forces um, in any way as a traitor and as an enemy, even if those people were... Um, actually they're lawyers. So it was a very strange situation and um, a very interesting one to be involved in from a development um, and legal perspective. And what did you learn from that experience? Uh, look, I learned um, a lot of things from it. Um, it certainly reinforced to me that uh, the rule of law is um, is not just about institutions. It's not just about uh, buildings like courthouses um, and police officers in uniform 
um, and military in uniform. It's very much about um, a shared understanding around values, about what a society uh, stands for, and uh, the rule of law in Afghanistan in the sense that we understand the rule of law in terms of the freedom of the citizen and the rights of the citizen um, is very much in development and it's very fragile and um, a lot of Afghan uh, people are working very hard to try to build the rule of law um, in their country after many years of war that has killed so many people. And um, yeah, so I learned a lot from them in terms of their bravery and their commitment uh, to building the rule of law um, in their country because they um, understand and recognise that uh, the rule of law is really the only way for people to live um, happy and healthy and safe lives. Did you have to learn Afghan? Um, I didn't have to learn Afghan. I had um, an interpreter who would interpret uh, for me in uh, the various languages that uh, popped up in the court. Um, I learned a few words, though. Um, I think because I've sort of travelled a lot um, and worked in lots of different places, um, I tend to forget those words as soon as I'm out of that environment because they're replaced with something else. But, um, yeah, language is not one of my um, strengths, unfortunately. So um, unlike some other people there who almost became semi-fluent um, in a year or so there, yeah, I didn't pick up too much, unfortunately. And how is the experience of defending an organisation who do harmful things to other people? Yeah, look, it's, it's always challenging to represent a person who has done things or um, is alleged to have done things that you fundamentally disagree with. Uh, but one of the, the ways that you can judge uh, a society is how it treats people that are vulnerable, whether that is poor people um, or mentally ill people um, or people who've broken the law or are accused of breaking the law. And, um, yeah, that's why, uh, for me, the, uh, the worth in being involved in a project like that is not determined by your view of uh, the conduct of the Taliban because no person who's coming from our perspective would ever possibly agree with what they do and what they've done. Uh, but what you can agree with, and I think what you should agree with, is that everyone is entitled to the protection of the rule of law and everyone who is accused of doing something wrong is entitled to uh, a process, um, a trial, to uh, determine whether what is alleged against them is actually true or not. Uh, because unless you have that process, uh, then we all um, are basically at the whim of the government. We can all be locked up at any point unless we have that guarantee of that process. How is justice important to a strong democracy? I'd say that it's more than important to a strong democracy. It's actually a requirement for a strong democracy. Um, so as we understand democracy, we have three arms of government. Uh, we have the parliament who makes the laws. Uh, we have the courts who apply the laws. And then we have the executive government, so the prime minister and the cabinet, um, who actually govern the country on a day-to-day -day basis. And at least unless each of those three arms of government aren't working, then you simply can't have democracy. Um, it's the courts who, who interpret the laws, and that to a very significant extent means that it's the courts who determine what the law is. Um, so unless you as a citizen have a right to go to court and say that, uh, that a law means a particular 
thing or that a law should or shouldn't apply to you, then uh, your vote at the ballot box doesn't mean very much uh, because uh, that is one of the three essential branches of the government that you vote for. Why are you running for country Labor candidate in 2019? Um, I'm running as the country Labor candidate uh, for Dubbo in 2019 because I believe that, uh, firstly, it's really important for the people of Dubbo to, uh, to have a competitive election and to have a strong choice on both sides of politics. Um, I've been a member of the Labor Party for a long time. I first joined when um, I was about 18. And I believe that the Labor Party um, is the party that represents my values. The Labor Party stands for um, a fairer Australia and the Labor Party stands for um, equality of opportunity for all people. And that means a strong public uh, education system, a strong public health system, all of those things that people need to get a, um, a fair go in life, basically. Uh, so those are the two main reasons that um, I'm standing. And um, I suppose lastly, I should say, I also um, enjoy the political process and I enjoy all the things involved in campaigning. Um, I love meeting people, I love learning new things, and I feel very um, honoured and privileged, I suppose, to have the opportunity to do it. And can you tell us what you plan to do if you are elected? Um, if I am elected as a country Labor member for Dubbo, I plan to be such a strong voice for Dubbo uh, that we as a country area will never be taken for granted again. And I intend to fight uh, tooth and nail um, inside the Labor Party and in the Parliament for all the resources that we need here and I particularly want to make a strong start on dealing with a lot of the social problems that we have here in town, which I think have been neglected uh, for far too long, and I will be um, fighting hard on those issues particularly. Uh, but I su suppose more um, in a fundamental sense, I'll be an advocate for individual constituents who come to me, because one of the most important roles of a local member is that you are the voice for people in your area um, in dealing with government and I'll certainly do all I can to use the skills that I've got as a barrister and from my different experiences to be the strongest possible advocate for constituents who come to me. And what advice would you give to people who are considering running for office? My advice to people, uh, particularly young people who are interested in politics, is um, to think very seriously about whether it's good for them as a first career or um, as a second career. And um, I suppose for me, um, I see politics as ideally um, a second career uh, because I think it's good to have a parliament that is full of people with a range of different experiences and backgrounds and skills. And um, I think part of that is um, electing people that have had uh, some good life experience, have good qualifications or good experiences and skills, different uh, experiences in life uh, that mean that they can be a good representative and um, a good person uh, to vote on um, important issues. But I certainly wouldn't discourage anyone from a career in politics, but um, I guess I would um, just encourage them to think about the timing of it and uh, think about exactly why they want to do it 
and work out exactly what are the things that they want to achieve they get elected and how they will uh, set about achieving them because uh, for me politics is not really about just being there if it's about just being there then uh, maybe that's not the best reason it should be about particular things that you want for the community and that you um, uh, that you talk to the community about and if the community supports you and votes for you on that basis uh, then you try and achieve those things for the community and how did it feel when you got elected for Dubbo council it felt really good yeah it felt really good it was a long hard day handing out um, voting cards to people and I went back uh, home my parents were here in town and my partner was here and I went home and had a shower and then uh, headed down uh, to the Chinese restaurant um, at the Macquarie Club and I got a phone call uh, from one of our party members who was doing the scrutineering which means that he was in where the votes are counted so he could tell which way the vote was going before it was officially announced and he said to me are oh, you fine mate you've been elected and I was really thrilled and happy and excited and uh, also a bit daunted too because I was the first person to be elected as a country Labor um, endorsed candidate in Dubbo so I felt that it was a big responsibility that I do the right thing and that I get things um, absolutely right uh, in how I represent people. And if you could tell our listeners one piece of wisdom you wish you had at our age, what would you say? If you're having hard times and stressful times and anxious times as you're going through the experience of growing up, uh, just remember uh, that everyone else is probably feeling the same as you and you just have to keep battling on uh, to achieve what you want. Thank you for your time you've spent with us today and all the great advice you have given and all the great answers you have given to us. Thank I was you. very grateful for the invitation and I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. The thing that stood out to me most was where Stephen Lawrence talked about his experience defending the Taliban in Afghanistan. What stood out to you? Tune in to future episodes where we talk to Troy Grant and Jane Diffie. Thank you all for listening to our first episode of our podcast series, Pieces of Wisdom.